0: When film criticism is as provocative as ever. Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit because every movie
1: makes us feel something. What's up everyone and welcome to this month's Donor Pick Minisode brought to you by those wonderful people that we call patrons. I'm Patch, and alongside me is my best friend, who I try not to feed after midnight, but sometimes it's difficult. Uh, Aaron, hey man, what's up?
0: <laughs> um, well, <laughs> that threw me for a loop. Uh, I'm it's good. I'm while. good. I, I'm not eating after like six these days. That 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 thing you saw me eating a minute ago doesn't count um, because I'm trying to you know lose some weight, and I've learned recently that if you stop eating after dinner, it really helps facilitate weight loss. So I'm thinking that. The gremlins didn't have this issue because obviously they're really, really thin to begin with. So that's why they just, they love to eat after midnight.
1: They put on like, like horror weight and silly weight, you know, based on, you know, whatever. I don't know. But if they, if you can't feed them after midnight, when can you start feeding them? Is it like sun up? Is it, what is it? I don't know. I just, so many, so many rules to the rules.
0: Well technically if you can't feed them after midnight, depending on how your your perspective of that is, it could be never.
1: Right. Because it's always right. midnight. It's always,
0: it's always after midnight somewhere. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had this conversation with uh, with our friend Francisco over at Retro Rewind about how could that be? You know, it just you know, time zones are always gonna screw people up. So <laughs> well if you haven't already guessed, we're covering gremlins for our December donor pick. And that was a it was kind of a surprise to both of us, I have to say. With the other movies that were on the list, I did not expect Gremlins to come out on top. But you spoke and we listened, so here we are, ready to talk. Joe Dante's 1984 sci-fi horror comedy camp. I'm not really All sure of what the above. Sure, why not? <laughs> Just to give you guys a heads up, as we always do. This is going to be very spoilery, but. This movie came out in 1984, and if you haven't seen it, you probably aren't even listening to this podcast because you're not interested. And if you have seen this, then good. Keep, keep listening to us because we're going to spoil the heck out of this.
0: Can I just say that I really, really, really expected Die Hard to win this poll? And I thought that, I thought that Die Hard would dominate this poll. Not even
1: close. From Die Hard fans? That was wrong. Okay. So
0: it, it was actually very close all the way around between four of the films. Edward Scissorhands got a lot of votes as did Batman returns.
1: Lethal yeah. Weapon, it's not, so I much. think, I think it's because Die Hard. when you talk about movies that could, could or could not be classified as Christmas movies, Die Hard typically becomes the poster child for that. Like it's because it's usually the one that people give as examples for, Oh yeah, it's a Christmas movie. No, it's not a Christmas movie just because it takes place during Christmas. And so, that doesn't necessarily mean that other movies on our list weren't as popular, and apparently, with our donors, this was the case that Gremlins came out on top. But I'm glad there were lots of votes for a lot for all these movies. Uh, it goes to show that everyone has their has their 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 fan choice, and um, Gremlins was obviously no exception. <laughs> well, let's get started. I want to know. Obviously, this is one that we've seen before. This is not a first time, at least. I'm hoping not. Uh, I figured both of us saw this when we were kids, but I wanted to start off by asking you, give me a, uh, a comparison of then versus now uh, from, from your, from your initial watch back when you were a kid and your rewatch now.
0: Well, I can't remember much about my first initial viewing because I hated this movie. I remember, <laughs> I remember despising it. I, I, and I don't even think it was a, an legitimate anger, I think that I watched probably half of it and I probably got scared because I watched it when I was really young. And I just never went back to it for some reason. I just, I had an unnatural hatred of both this and Alien. Um, Alien was more visceral and I can remember specifically why that occurred uh, because I happened to be watching from behind the couch, peeked over the top and saw the chest busting scene and ran back to my room, freaked out. And, uh, but for some reason, Gremlins just, it's never really. I've never wanted to go back to it. And I watched it for the first time since I was eight, six, seven, something like that last year because I wanted to introduce my kids to it. And so I'm going to speak about that time more than this time. I enjoyed it enough that I had a decent experience and I didn't hate it anymore. <laughs> um, there were things that I found interesting and uh, the kids enjoyed it and I think that that definitely elevated my viewing experience was watching it with them so I watched it again you know recently for the podcast and you know we're gonna talk about the things I like about it and there's not a lot of things that I hate about it I'm just very meh on this movie patrick i don't I don't mm. know what what the reason specifically is other than. I just don't find it as compelling as people do. And I think it may be because I'm missing out on that nostalgia piece that is so important for a lot of older films. Because I didn't have the connection when I was a you know, elementary school kid like people my age do. Now it's hard to go back and form that as a thirty eight year old adult. So that's right. that's kind of where I'm at. I don't I guessed that you probably loved it as a kid. Am I right or am I wrong?
1: You know, I I grew up watching it. It was in that same world of Nightmare on Elm Street that I was exposed to, and a bunch of other movies that, looking back on it now, probably traumatized me more than I thought. Gremlins actually was one that I clearly remember having having a uh, a visceral reaction to, and and legitimately as a kid, not wanting to go into swimming pools at YMCA's and Ooh, YMCA, you know, hearing creepy things happening in my house, like noises and thinking, oh my gosh, stripe is back, what's gonna happen? And yet and, now
0: you're a puppeteer.
1: And now I am a puppeteer and <laughs> you know, so I don't know if that's ironic or weird or just you know, <laughs> I, I don't feed my puppet after midnight either. So it's it's fine. But I, I remember specifically Mr. Pelzer's warning at the end of the movie and being afraid to 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 just I <laughs> just being afraid. I'm like, oh my gosh, gremlins, whatever. Watching it this time around, as I I really enjoy watching movies that distant from each other, like watching a movie from those two different distances, because it gives me a sense of perspective. And one thing that I will say, the nostalgia of 1984 of a 1980s movie is what would draw me to this, because there's a lot about it that is definitely a misstep in terms of what it's trying to be versus what it is. There's a lot of confusing elements to that. So from a from a full movie standpoint, this is definitely one that's going to stand on the nostalgia uh, road or, or whatever we could, the nostalgia block, as opposed to this was really, really good. I remember watching the sequel and being a lot less scared because it went incredibly campy. Uh, you're talking about gremlins running around in New York And I can tell uh, watching this movie where the gags were that they decided to amplify in the sequel. So that being said, it made it a lot more approachable for me. I will say this. I've talked to a couple of people about the movie and they've indicated that Gremlins is a great movie to be a primer for getting into horror because it's not too scary. It's got some campy moments, but it's still got some kind of interesting terror there which can work in its favor or can work against it
0: that's a great point and i think that's probably why my kids enjoyed it so much is because it wasn't super scary but it does give you a little bit of the tingles at times and you know i was actually shocked when i found out that this movie was rated pg so when it was over i remember noticing that and just going what like this this movie was a lot a lot more graphic than I thought you know a PG movie would be these days which is saying something since the world is a lot more you know lenient uh, this these days with the things we take in and I did a little research on that uh, and I actually found out that both Indiana Jones the, the Temple of Doom <laughs> and Gremlins were rated PG now even worse than Gremlin's is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom let me say. Um yeah, Kali Ma, uh hello. Shakti Day. Shakti Day. So Steven Spielberg had these two PG releases which um and he he didn't uh, direct Gremlins, he just executive produced it, but we always think of it as a Spielberg movie, like you said it was Joe Dante. But they were heavily criticized because these were not kid-appropriate movies. And so in order to avoid being hit with an R rating because at the time it went from PG to R and Spielberg didn't feel that gremlins or temple of doom were R rated, you know, level films. He actually suggested to the motion picture, um, rating society. He add that. They add a PG rating between the the PG and R. So basically that's how we got PG 13 and come to find out on August 10th, 1984, Red Dawn was actually the first movie ever released that was PG-13, which is a fantastic one to be the first, I got to say.
1: Is it worthy of the PG-13 rating?
0: I, maybe. I mean, people die constantly, so yeah.
1: Well, well just in your opinion, would you say, yeah, that's definitely a, a PG-13 movie by either 84 standards or today's standards? Would you consider it?
0: I would definitely still consider it that. And I think it's just because the... The seriousness of the tone and the the death and the things that are happening there, mm-hmm. there's there's a a very realness to them. That was a the Cold War was a big fear at the time, and that's a realistic thing.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: I don't think you can, I don't think necessarily you have to have a bunch of blood for it to be PG thirteen. I think it can be emotional in nature. And mm-hmm. and Red Dawn I would put more in the emotional camp. Yeah, Gremlins is more in the graphic camp.
1: That's true. And Gremlins is part of a... 84 was an interesting year for movies. I mean, there were obviously a ton that came out. 16 Candles, Nightmare on Elm Street, The Last Starfighter, Ghostbusters, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Children of the Corn. I mean, these are the movies that we got to experience along with Gremlins. So in a lot of ways, that movie, Gremlins fits right in with that year's releases in terms of just the amount of stuff that it has going, going on in it. But at the same time, because it has a lot of those common traits that those other movies might have in terms of the tone. It's what makes it really weird watching it now. Like I watch it and I go, what are you trying to be? Are you a comedy? Because there's lots of fun with these gremlins. And I clearly remember those callbacks to the poker scenes and the, the caroling and stuff like that. These, and and you're kind of laughing, but you don't know if you should be. And then there's of course the horror uh, the Butterman and Mrs. Deagle, especially who are probably Mrs. Deagle personally is my favorite kill in the movie. I think she's it's great to get an old lady that you just don't like from the very beginning get launched from her 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 stair chair chair, and I'm glad the cats didn't you know didn't come to their demise. And then there's some drama. You've got like Kate, our heroine in the movie, who's telling the story about her dad, and you just go. What am I watching? What am I supposed to be feeling right now? Yep. And by the end of it, you get the same tone that you get from the very beginning. I love the setup for the beginning. I love the 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 voiceover narration. It felt very much like a Spielberg movie. It felt you know, he's in a he's in a foreign country, and you're getting introduced to these these interesting characters. And then by the end, you get that same voiceover. So you have this bookended, this weird movie bookended by these great kind of Spielbergian beginning and end. And I walked away going, I don't know if I like that really. I don't know if I like that, but the more I think about it, the more that there are parts that I really enjoyed, but I don't know that the sum of those parts equals a great movie for me.
0: Well, that's good to know because uh, I would probably have been a little concerned if you had said it was a great movie. I'm, I'm not understood your taste. I mean, it's it's fine. It's 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 entertaining. I don't I don't doubt. I mean, I don't uh, be, beget anyone that enjoyment of it. But I certainly do not consider this any sort of masterpiece. And I, for some reason, I always felt like that was the the framing around Gremlins. Were, oh, Gremlins is so amazing. I remember it from my childhood. Yeah, it's not really that amazing. Mm-hmm. It's got some good scenes. It's got some cuteness to it at times and some interesting things. I really love that poker scene, by the way, that that whole section is probably one of my absolute favorite things. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's exactly what you said. I'm laughing while I'm rolling my eyes fully aware of how ridiculous it is (laughs) because I have so many questions, Patrick, so many questions, but like, it's, it's entertaining. I mean, we see them play poker and then we see this like, move into this noir scene at a restaurant with, you know, and, and then it almost turns into like this eighties dance club. Like it was dirty dancing or flash dance or something going on. It's, it's, it's wild. And that, that whole sequence is, is a lot of fun.
1: Mm -hmm. There's, there's a lot to be said about some of the structural elements that make up the story. Something that I'm learning in this writing class that I'm taking is how you have all these pieces of a story that kind of outline your, Overall, like, okay, we want to include this. We want to have this. We want to put this in there. But piecing it together in a way that makes sense really is the one of the most challenging parts from a writing standpoint. Because how do you get from point A to point B to point C? How do you bring in characters that you can pay them off in in a unique way and give them, even if it's a small arc, it's still a valuable arc. And in a lot of ways, I feel like *Gremlins* is sort of a bunch of comedy sketches intermixed with some drama here and there. And that's where, that's where I have trouble really enjoying it. What I do enjoy is the mythology. When I got first introduced to this as a kid and what kind of freaked me out about this was some of that mystery of like, as much as there are plenty of plot holes (laughs) that you can find in these three rules, those three rules were very kind of their ambiguity made made some kind of mystery out of them. You know, the idea of, you know, don't feed them after midnight, don't ever get them wet or give them anything to drink. Uh, and what was the third one? I forget what the third one was. Um, it's
0: no sunlight,
1: no sunlight or no light, I like guess. Sunlight specific sunlight will kill them, but no light in particular. Cause I know there are like flashes that freaked you know, gizmo out or whatever, but having that kind of mythology embedded in your story creates a little bit of intrigue and, the moment that really connected for me was both the moment when the, when Gizmo like popping out all those little furry future gremlins. And then when they get wet and they get into their cocoon stage, oh my gosh, this is where the movie looks fishes. like
0: alien eggs, by the way, it, it
1: really does. It really does. And so you have this, you have this really dramatic turn. And let me just say this. I now, Remember why I don't like the Christmas song. Do you hear what I hear? It's because of this movie and particularly when, um, when Billy's mom is going up and looking at these things and you hear this, I'm like, Oh my goodness. If I ever hear that song ever again, that's, I've got this flashbulb memory of a gremlin is going to come out and stab me. And if he has spiky hair, I know it's going to be real. So I look at that and, it's it, it kind of this mystery keeps you involved in it. And you kind of wonder, okay, how are they going to, to kill them? Um, it's not incredibly strong, but it's enough to keep me entertained throughout. And I think the camp portion of it is what keeps the, keeps the energy level up for me.
0: Oh, I think you're absolutely right. If it, if it didn't have the humor and the goofiness to it, I would be consumed by the how, why, when, where, what of, this whole ordeal because my brain needs to know those things. And, and I think for me it's because specifically the movie sets it up. Like if you're going to give me those rules, you gotta, you gotta explain to me why somewhere along the line, give me some nuggets, give me something, you know, but we get nothing Mm -hmm. at all. We just get more questions all the way up to the end of this movie where the Chinaman comes back and, and all of a sudden he speaks gremlin, by the way, as well. There's a the language and it's like, okay, so how, what, when, where, why again? Um, and so that campiness, I, I think it does. It, it, it can carry us through that big middle portion of the movie between meeting the gremlins and the end. But, I when it's over, I mean I still I I think that's also it's it's a double-edged sword because that's why I'm not able to love this movie. It's why I can't <laughs> go all in on it like I do like a Blade Runner or an Alien franchise film because there's a there's a richness to that universe. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing is that I would love to know more about these creatures. So, it does make me intrigued. It gets me interested in them and makes me excited and really really curious I want yeah. to know the answers to these questions and I kind of am upset because I don't get them
1: well you can get them though if you check out Amazon there's actually a novelization of the movie that takes that has been written that goes into more detail about the origins of these creatures and I wow. think yeah I've not read it but I've read reviews on it and some of the reviews have said this is a great uh, fill fill in story because you're familiar with the story as a whole, obviously, but you get more substance. And I think from an authoring point of view, from a novel point of view, there's definitely this realization that we didn't get everything that we were, uh, we were handed in the theater. And it's, it's a risk you take when you, when you create a creature and you give that creature rules, our 2017 brains are like, okay, Now I have a universe in which to play in and these rules are part of that. So when you start breaking them, you break the universe that they live in. Um, There are several, uh, I guess on IMDb, there are several sections in the goofs section where the, uh, you know, they're, they're exposed. I think there's one point where they're exposed to sunlight, but it doesn't bother them or, or something happens there. And these are more like film, film issues or whatever, but there's not enough consistency to maintain when you set when, you know, it's, it's not a good, idea agree. It's, it's a risky idea when you set up rules because you can either break them with purpose or you break them by accident. And I think gremlins does this very loosely by accident where it's like, here's the three rules and we're going to break them in order to create this chaotic situation where 75% of the movie is these creatures running around doing insane things and then you start reaching into the depths of like okay how crazy can we make them well we'll start making them act like humans because that's really funny and so that's where i feel like when we shift in tone i can i can shift in tone with the creators at that point and enjoy it more so if i can just throw out the fact that okay this isn't going to be drama this is not going to be horror per se it's going to be kind of slasher comedy I'm okay with that. And and I think that's where my enjoyment comes up a notch a little bit, uh, is when I can kind of follow along with the creators and go, that was a fun ride for me. And I can embrace the camp and I can embrace the humor too.
0: I wish I could more. I really do. <laughs> I, I just get annoyed. I get annoyed when they start driving vehicles and they start doing human like things. And <laughs> I don't understand why in gizmo form, um, they, you know, don't act like humans at all. They act like little furry creature pets. But suddenly when they get into gremlin form, they have all this knowledge of culture. And I mean, they, they have all incredibly varied and unique personalities. That, like, where'd they get that? Where Where did that come from? You mm-hmm. know, it's just, it's all, I feel it's very lazy. And kind of, I get it. I get it though. I mean, you've said it and I understand it's not, that's not the direction. That's not what they were going for Spielberg and Dante. That's not what they were aiming. It's not the audience they were aiming for was to create this very, very deep, you know, sci-fi alien picture. Mm-hmm. It was meant to be kind of a horror comedy for kids and it succeeds at that for the most yeah. part.
1: Yeah. There's a, there was, there was definitely some, uh, money to be made in the world of, uh, of action figures and toys. I clearly remember having a gizmo doll and then seeing some of the stripe plush figures that came out. So it was definitely a money, money money-making thing. And with Spielberg on, in the EP chair, there was, there was a lot to be made. So I I completely get the purpose behind this entertainment and making money. So from that standpoint, I got to respect the thing. What I took away from this viewing more than anything is putting myself in a position to see personification of everything. And I want to just kind of lead that into, by by kind of looking at the different characters that, we, that we're that faced, because this is probably one of the, besides the some of the campy moments with the gremlins, the characters themselves really, really made me laugh in terms of their personified nature. These characters are not round at all. These are flat characters, and these are flat characters that, are unapologetic about being flat. Um, Mr. Futterman is a great example. The first time we see him, he's just complaining about his the GD foreign cars. And we get this sense of his weird patriotism. And it comes back later, right before he meets his demise. And he's trying to, he's hitting the television he goes, this is why we should have gotten a Zenith, you know, GD foreign televisions and, I thought his character was a lot of fun. Mrs. Deagle sets herself up perfectly to be offed later on in the movie. I was like, Oh, she's, she's going down. If not at the, at the hands of our hero, at the hands of the, of these creatures and the way in which she gets, you know, gets her life ended is just entertainingly fantastic. Um, and then Peltzer. Oh, go ahead.
0: Well, on Mrs. Deagle. So it's it's an interesting thing that that, that brings up. And, and it, I don't know if this is more of an 80s cultural thing or if this really still happens today. I'd have to give some thought to it. But this idea that because someone is rough around the edges or mean, that they are worthy of horrible death and we should laugh at them. I mean – that's not really a good thing. It's not like Mrs. Deagle is a child molester secretly that we've discovered. And so now we are like, yes, kill that one. She's just kind of rude.
1: No, she's not kind of rude. And I, I, I get what you're saying, but don't think like a 2017 critic right now. Think like a 1984 <laughs> kid. Because if this is catered to children and young kids, they're looking for a villain. They're looking for bad guys. There's no gray area with this. They're not looking for... They're not looking for redeeming qualities in these people. From the very beginning, Mrs. Deagle comes in with her. She's look, she she reminds me in a small way, and I'm gonna make a stretch here, of our villain from Waterworld. Okay. There's not a lot of of roundness to his character. He's a great little, you know, mustache twirling villain. And Deagle's the same way. She sets herself up from the very beginning as someone that she might be a crotchety old woman. And she might, she might have a legitimate B for being angry at the world, but the fact is, we don't get told all that backstory, and we're we're not told intentionally. We're we're told enough so that we can feel like when she does get her uh, comeuppance, we're celebrating that. And we're why and, uh, because it's fun to see on screen. <laughs> it I mean, it's it it's, not it's, be, though? it's it's the same reason I think that we play Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter 2 because we want to see those fatalities. We want to see the blood going. It's, I say we as, I'm not going to say we as people, I do. And when I know that when I'm not going into a movie trying to see the depth of a character and I'm seeing a sense of a just a real simple story like this, I have no problem celebrating or at least being mildly entertained by someone's demise. Because I think that's the point. And that's the that's the point of decent storytelling. When I mean, you have a hero, you have a villain. And when the villain meets his or her demise, you celebrate that as an audience. Now, as we get older, as we become more attuned to mature movie watching, we try to tune into those more rounded out characters. And that's, I mean, you've heard me say it on the show all the time. I love villains that aren't flat. You know, and I by default, I'm going to find a villain more appealing like Kylo Ren, who is not necessarily a villain, even though he is a, quote, bad guy. He's extremely flat. I've seen his abs. (laughs) I don't even know how to respond to that, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) But but his character isn't set up to be uh, one-dimensional, whereas I think Deagle... And and Futterman and even 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 our protagonists are, are 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 one dimensional in order to get us to latch on to the basic heroic and uh, bad guy qualities that that we should. Because, again, this was not this was not geared towards me and you in 2017. It was geared towards me and you as six and seven year olds. So in that regard, I can be very forgiving of that. And I can celebrate that. I can celebrate movies that don't try to be anything more than they are. And Gremlins, I think, I think that's a success of it. Is it's not trying to be anything more than just exactly what it is, although it's a lot of things and that's kind of a problem in some ways. But you know, I, I really love Peltzer, the, the inventor. I think his, his bathroom buddy was something I wanted for a long time. For Christmas, because I thought it was the coolest invention ever, even though I didn't shave at the time. I did brush my teeth, uh, but that was pretty much the only thing I could use from the bathroom buddy, apparently. But his whole slogan, uh, fantastic ideas for a fantastic world. I make the illogical logical. This is a slogan that I want to embrace for my life. I, I, I want to make the illogical logical in whatever I do. But
0: that's a good aspiration to have.
1: <laughs> and all of his inventions were hilariously bad. And they made things, you actually had to work harder to make things happen, like making coffee or squeezing juice or um, smoking and all these different things. So there was, there was so much to like about each individual character because of the personified whatever that they were becoming. And in some weird way, there's a sense of sincerity that comes from seeing these, these characters depicted on screen, which is why I think I gravitate towards liking this movie more than more than not.
0: Yeah. I I actually enjoy his character somewhat. (laughs) I say somewhat, I mean, he wears on me because it's just the gag keeps going and going and going. (laughs) Um, I would love to have an egg breaker because I eat a lot of eggs now that I'm keto. Uh, It's like my main source of protein, it seems like. And so I would love to have something that does that for me. Because it would be much easier. Um, no, not, not one that breaks them before they hit the bowl, of course. Uh, but yeah, I liked him. I liked his ideas. I liked the way that he thought out of the box. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I'm trying to think. I saw a movie recently that, that hit this same note for me of a couple where... Oh, Patterson. It's Patterson. I watched a movie called Patterson last night with Kylo Ren in it. And <laughs> a similar thing was being on display there. So... And Patterson, Kylo Ren, I was about to say it again, Adam Driver's character, uh, his name is also Patterson, he's a poet. And his wife is constantly seeking all of these different things. Like she wants a guitar because she wants to start playing guitar. She wants to be known for baking. She wants to, you know, create dresses and do all these other kinds of arts. And it's they're both like creative, looking for creative outlets. Of course, Patterson knows his is poetry. But the thing is the wife is constantly applauding his poetry and it's, it's not even that great, right? It's, it's good, but it's not like he's a world beater, but the way that she talks to him is she always is helping to promote that and motivate him. And she's, to me, it's the way the spouse should be. And, and this movie does that too, mm-hmm. because he is making terrible inventions, but his spouse is is being supportive of him. She knows that this is who he is. He is, this is his creativity. And it's not about like supporting him because one day he's going to hit the jackpot and make them millionaires. It's supporting him because she loves him and she knows that that's what his passion is. And Mm -hmm. so that part of their relationship is what I like the most related to Mr. Pilzer.
1: Yeah. There's definitely some sincerity with them as a couple for sure. And and I think it sort of touches with Billy a little bit. Um, I didn't know why. I don't know how old he is. I guess he's at, in his twenties. Why he's still living with his parents, whatever. But um, I the think the man they, and a young Corey Feldman. You know what? What are you going to do with that? So, but yeah, I, I I definitely liked their relationship. Um, I have a I have a sincere love for puppeteering, obviously, and I thought that there were several. Uh, there's just a lot of love that I have for the puppeteering in this movie because that, that's, I think that's a lost art in, in today's world with the, with the world of CG. I mean, rightly so. There, there are times when it's just not necessary to do that, but it goes along with those practical effects, the ability to emote using your, uh, using a, a doll in your hand to create some kind of emotion, although there wasn't a lot here. I thought Gizmo was a fantastic design. Uh, I got, He's very cute, and the way he um, they they use him to move, and the sounds that they articulate to him are are very much a, in my opinion, a complete package for for a from a puppet standpoint. Like I I remember in in eighty four when I watched this, how much I loved Gizmo, and that feeling hasn't gone away. So kudos for the puppeteering. Not so much on the CGI. There were a few moments here. I'm like, yeah, that's definitely computer generated. <laughs> And so, yeah, just like movies like Tron, sometimes the CG just doesn't quite hold up like you want it to, but alas, it is where it
0: is. Tron holds up better to me than this, but yes, you're right. Agreed. Agreed. Comparing. I know what you're saying.
1: There's a datedness uh, I, the to puppets.
0: It. The puppets are great. The puppets are great. The gremlins and the creatures are amazing and they're cute when they need to be cute. They're scary-ish enough when they need to be scary um, it's they, they do a fantastic job with the puppets I was reading some trivia on this and apparently they were very 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 expensive in fact they were a large portion of the film's budget went to these puppets and so they had to be locked up and guarded overnight at the end of every day of filming huh. to make sure that they never got stolen yeah there was like a huge security around the puppets I thought that was neat and I also found out that one of your favorite movies uh, is actually filmed in this town, Patrick. It's uh, Kingston Falls is the name of the town in Gremlins, but it's also known as Hill Valley
1: in Back to the Future. Yes, sir. I love seeing that. was hoping that I'd see Doc Brown going, Marty, we got Gremlins, you know, but alas. You know, that
0: up. would make the movie better.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for the clock tower too, but I couldn't find it. But that was so cool. To that would have been really cool. Yeah i i I love seeing that. There, there are um, a couple of TV shows that share the same uh, on the CW that we watch that that share the same lot. And so, one town in Massachusetts looks like it's the exact same town square in uh, in I think it's Tennessee. So I am like, oh, this could be the South or the North at any given point. You just throw some snow on it, and I, I love seeing that stuff because you know, it's just like, oh yeah, I recognize that. You know, just go around to you know, go around to the clock tower, and you can hide from the gremlins. I know there's a secret spot there where Marty hid. So.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: Anyway, well, that's about all I have for for gremlins. There's not uh, not too much in depth, obviously, that we discussed, but um.
0: yeah, no, not much more for me either. I, you know, I think that it's it was worth watching uh, again with my kids, as I said. So I think that if you're listening to this and you're an adult and you have kids and you haven't introduced them to it yet, that you should I mean if you're you know if they're old enough you know in their elementary years um I'd watch it with them and and they probably won't enjoy it more than you but you will like it more while you're watching it because you'll get to experience their emotions through them I got to hear my kids laugh and see what they thought was funny through their eyes and I got to see what one of kind of they kind of jumped at a little bit and when I was I wasn't scared of course at that but it reminded me of what it was like to be a kid watching this for the first time. And it did terrify me at the time. So, you know, I was like you, Patrick, I had a gizmo doll and it, it scared me because I legitimately thought that my gizmo doll was going to turn into spike. (laughs) And I mean, it wasn't and it didn't thankfully, (laughs) but yeah, it's a, you know, it's a, it's an old cute movie. And if somebody wants to pick this franchise up and revive it and make it a real straight, Alien-esque horror, I am all in for that.
1: I was going to say, I would not mind seeing this reimagined at some point with the, the level of techniques and the, the amount of creativity that exists in, in Hollywood.
0: Well, I read something about that where they had talked about doing that a few years ago and they just it just never got off the ground because the puppeting wasn't a thing now in 2017. It, wouldn't, it wasn't going to cut it. So it would have to be CGI and they didn't think they could recreate it and give it the same feel anymore. Mm,
1: Okay. Well, there's always hope.
0: Yeah. I
1: don't know. Oh, well. Gremlins, aliens, crossover. That's what I'm waiting on. Graylians. We'll just call it that. Yes. (laughs) Stamp it. Copyright it. I got it. (laughs) And then Graylians 2,
0: the holy Graylian.
1: The holy Graylians. (laughs) It becomes a, it, beca- it becomes a biblical story of biblical proportions. <laughs> and since Indiana Jones does aliens now, he can do
0: Indiana Jones and the Holy <laughs> Grailians. Oh
1: the quest for the Holy Grailians. And that's all Spielberg. works. Uh, is, we're getting, this is the part this where we this. is better those. than
0: the Gremlins, guys.
1: <laughs> all right, guys. Well, we appreciate you uh, listening. Thank you for our patrons, uh, to our patrons for voting and for being a part of that process. Every month we have a new uh, donor pick that um, our patrons have a chance to vote for. So if you haven't gotten on the Patreon train, please do. For as little as a dollar a month, you can have access to bonus content as well as a vote or Skin in the Game. So who knows? Uh, It could be a movie that you absolutely love that we get to cover.
0: Yeah, you never know when Starship Troopers is going to show up, Matt.
1: (laughs) Matt's been right. asking
0: for Starship Troopers for like nine months now.
1: <laughs> well, maybe someday. We'll see. All right. We appreciate you guys. Uh, have a good whatever night, day, whenever you're listening to this. And we will talk to you later.